Well, good morning, Life Church. Who is excited to be in the house of God this morning? Amen. What a great service so far. We're going to keep that going. I'm so excited about the word that God has given me for this morning. And what we've been doing, if you haven't been with us, is we've been going through our core values as a church. We began by talking about our new purpose statement, which is, we are here to care for and bring people to Jesus. I'm going to start asking you in the future, just so you know, but I thought I'd give you some grace this morning because it's only been about four Sundays. We are here to care for and bring people to Jesus. You say, what's the purpose of Life Church? It's to care for and bring people to Jesus. Why is that? Because we don't, we don't save people. We don't heal people. He does. Amen? So we're here to care for and bring people to Jesus. Then we talked about some values. We talked about some core values. Number one, we talked about the Word of God. We build our lives on His Word, right? We build our lives on His Word. Last week we talked about, did anybody remember what we talked about last week? Yeah, worship. That's right. We are a Holy Spirit-led church who live to see God glorified in all that we do. And we talked about that. We gave you three uh, uh, ways to do that last week, three levels of that of expressions of worship. And then this morning, here we go. You guys ready for the next one? All right, here we go. This morning, our value is the value we value at Life Church. We value prayer. At Life Church, we value prayer. And here's our statement. We are a house of prayer dependent on Jesus Christ. This is how this is going to look this morning. I'm going to read to you something that I wrote down regarding prayer. Then we're going to turn in our Bibles. And if you have your Bibles this morning, you can get ready. In Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6 and 7, we're going to read that. Then we're going to actually pray, which is good because we're talking about prayer this morning. And then we're going to spend a few moments unpacking the Word of God. You guys with me this morning? Okay, so here we go. Prayer. Prayer is momentary and constant. Prayer is intentional and reactionary. Prayer is intelligent and emotional. You can pray in the Spirit. You can pray in song. You can pray before a meal. We pray for the sick. We pray for authority figures. We pray for souls. We pray for safety. We pray for family members. We pray for nations. We pray for needs And we pray for wants. However, and whenever you pray, prayer is foundational to initiating and maintaining a relationship with Jesus Christ. However, and whenever you pray, prayer is foundational to initiating and maintaining a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's turn your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 6. Oh, I love this scripture. We're going to go to the word and then we're going to pray. Here's what it says. Also, the sons, oh, sorry, I'm going to read it from the NLT. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, who hold fast to my covenant. Who do you think is talking here? This is God speaking. And he says, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem, and I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple, everybody say my temple, everybody say his temple, his temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord God, that we get to be a part of that. 
Father God, that you are inhabiting the praises of your people and you dwell in this place this morning, Lord God. We declare this to be the house of the Lord, Lord Jesus. And we pray and we thank you that this is a house of prayer for all nations. Father God, we pray this morning that you would take these words, God, that are logos words, that are written words, and you would put your spirit on them, Lord God. We pray for an unction to declare your word this morning, Lord God. And we pray that, Lord Jesus, that you would come and have your way and you would change our hearts as we discipline our minds to focus on you, Lord God. We love you, Lord. We declare your greatness in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, church, my experience with prayer has been um, quite varied. When I look back and I thought about some of my earliest memories of praying in a church setting, I remember being a kid. And I remember my dad taking me up to this room, and we were at this church called Glad Tidings in Chilliwack at the time, and what they would do is they would actually go up into this upper room. That sounds very biblical, doesn't it? Go up into this upper room behind the, the, the sanctuary, and we would all go up there, and when you walked in, what this, they would do is they would hand you a pillow. And it was like this knit pillow. And everybody would take their little pillow, and I'd always pick my favorite design, and we'd carry it over, and we would put it on the ground. And then what you'd do is you'd kneel on that pillow. And that was your prayer pillow for the morning. And then in that room, I'll never forget it. it I didn't understand it at the time, but that room would fill up with prayers. And there would be this hum. I can't even describe it to you. It was like this din of sound as everybody began to lift up their voices to God. And this room would just fill with this. The way I, only way I can describe it is a sound above a sound would fill the room. And you could hear this. Ah, as many, probably, you know, I don't remember as a kid, it felt like 100. But it was probably like 20 people's voices would fill this room with prayer. And that was my earliest memory of prayer. I remember growing up and, and having a little bit of a tough relationship with prayer. Uh, it wasn't always the easiest thing to get into. I remember, uh, in, in fact, when the first Starbucks opened up in Chilliwack. And why do I remember that? Because my dad started to, to bribe me with Starbucks to come to early morning prayer with him. <laughs> and so he used to take me out, and we'd go into the Starbucks, and I didn't know what I was ordering. I was like, wow, that looks amazing. And they only had like three drinks at that time. And so I would order the mocha or whatever, and then we'd go. I was probably 16. 15, 16, we would go to early morning prayer, and he would always say, Matt, I'll buy you Starbucks if you come to prayer with me in the morning. I always found it hard to connect with prayer meetings as a young man. It wasn't something that I found it stimulating or exciting. It was, it was tough. There was something about it that was hard. It wasn't until I went to Bible college that some guys that I looked up to said, hey, Matt, we're going to come tomorrow morning and pick you up early. And you have to understand something. I am not a morning person. Let's just be very clear about that right now. And Tanya said, yep, I'm not a morning person. I have a hard time getting up in the morning. But man, they said, no, we're going to come at 6 o'clock in the morning and we're going to get you up. And I'm like, okay, because I wanted to be radical like them. And they would come and knock on my window and get me out of bed. And I would throw my clothes on and jump outside and get in their car. And we'd go get coffees because you always got to get coffees. And I remember going into the sanctuary at this church that I was at down in Seattle, and we would walk in, and there would be this hush, just this, and we'd walk in this dark sanctuary, and they'd turn on a few lights, and then my buddy Brian would get up on the piano, and he would just go nuts on the piano for about an hour, and I would often just lie down in the pew and fall asleep. Until I discovered that if you get up and walk, you can stay awake. And so then I began to pace in the back of the room, and that's where God began to teach me about prayer. 
but I had to learn it. It didn't come naturally. It wasn't something that was, you know, just in me that I was just, oh, I just love to pray. It was something that had to grow in me. It was a, it was a rhythm that had to become a reality within my life. And why is it that this idea of prayer is often so hard? How come it often feels like a battle? You ever found that church? Let's go to a prayer meeting. Woohoo! No. I guess we should go is typically the reaction that we might have. Prayer feels like a battle. Even when I probably mentioned this morning, you're like, oh, yeah, prayer, cool. Right? Maybe some of you are very spiritual and you're like, oh, yes, prayer. But prayer is hard. And why is that? Why does it seem that, you know, the church worship nights are often more well attended than prayer meetings? Could it be that there's a battle being fought over you to keep you from praying? Could it be that the things that you find the hardest to engage in in your faith are the things that are the most important? The ones that you need the most? Could it be that the first step to engaging in spiritual warfare is choosing to pray? There's a discipline in this. I recently heard um, Pastor Frank Damasio, who's a real father in our movement of MFI, and he was speaking at the MFI conference down in the States. I listened online. Thank God for modern technology. And this is what Pastor Frank said. He says, the way forward in this time will be found in new levels of prayer and intercession, personally and corporately. This is not in a worship service. It's not in a great sermon. But the way forward is found in prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray that I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. It's the prayer service. It's the warfare. It's the discipline of prayer. Would we pray? Would we pray? And we are a house of prayer dependent on Jesus. That's what we are, Life Church. So, what is prayer? Well, on the internet, it says, <laughs> and you know the internet's always right. <laughs> uh, I just thought this was good. Simply put, prayer is conversing with God, not just talking to the Lord, but listening. And then I, I thought I'd put a mind twister on here for you that you can kind of try and un unravel. This is from Oswald Chambers, and he was a very poetic writer. Uh, and he wrote this. He says, prayer is getting into perfect communion with God. Oh, I like that. Prayer is getting into perfect communion with God. Come on, aligning with him. And then it says this, I tell him what I know he knows. You ever wonder about that? He doesn't God know everything? Why am I telling him all this stuff? I tell him what I know he knows. Got that? I'm going slow for you here because this is a tough one. In order that I may get to know it as he does. I tell him what he knows in order that I may get to know it as he does. Think about prayer as getting your heart in alignment with God's heart. Getting your attitudes and actions in alignment with God's attitudes and actions. Why is that so hard? Because we are bombarded with our feelings and our emotions. We're bombarded with everything else around us. Every distraction we can imagine. Every text and Twitter. Every sound. Every alarm. Every kid. At least we are. 
There's so many distractions around us. But would we take the time to pray? So here's how we're going to explore this today, this topic, is we're going to look at it from the perspective of our statement, which is that we are a house of prayer dependent on Jesus Christ. What does it mean by house of prayer? And we're going to go back to the scripture that we read at the very beginning. It's going to be our text today, Isaiah 56, verse 7. And it says this in the New King James Version. It says, I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. And their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, when you read the Bible, We're going to do a little bit of Bible study now. You guys with me? When you read the Bible, there's a rule in in, in the study of interpretation of scriptures that says there's this rule called the rule of first mention. Okay, and it's this idea when, that when the Bible mentions something for the first time, there's some significance to that. And so the, the first place that the Bible mentions this idea of house of prayer is actually right here in this chapter in Isaiah. And what is, what is God saying here to Isaiah? What is he prophesying to the children of Israel? What he is saying is that before, this was only for you, this is only for your people, and for the people that were within your family and your group and your tribe. But now, what I'm telling you is, the time is coming and now is, where I'm opening this up to everybody. And what he's speaking about here specifically is the eunuchs and the Gentiles. Everybody who is outside of the Israelite tribes and nation. He's speaking about inclusivity and bringing other people in. And what is he talking about when he's talking about temple worship? Well, let's show you the picture of the temple. Oh, I got this wrong. There it is, the temple. So what is this? This is where the children of Israel would go to connect to Yahweh or God. This is the place that they saw as the place of his presence. In fact, it represented the place of his presence. It's where God dwelt. And so if you wanted to connect to God, if you wanted to serve God, and you wanted to to seek him, this is how you had to do it. You had to go to the temple. And you would go to the temple, and you would bring with you a sacrifice. It was often a bull, a goat, a sheep or a dove, depending on the type of offering that you were making. And you would have to intentionally take this animal and drag it up into the uh, the outer courts of the temple, and then you would bring it up to the priest, and the priest would go into the part that they could go into, in the inner courts, and they would sacrifice your animal for you. And depending on the type of sacrifice, they would either uh, burn it all up, or for certain sacrifices, they would actually make you a meal. And they would, you know, you weren't allowed to eat the blood and, or the fat, but they would bring you back the meat. I like that one. Come on, bring me some meat. Probably not filet mignon because it's too marbled, but you know what? I'll take anything you give me, some good meat. And they would bring it back to them, and they would eat the meat. And so that's what you had to do in order to approach God. There was this place of encounter for worshipers. And it's interesting that when he calls this place, he, he describes this place in Isaiah, this is a place of encounter, this is a place of worship, this is a place of exchange. It's interesting that he doesn't call it a house of worship or a house of sacrifice But he calls it a house of prayer. Now, if this is the place where you encounter the presence of God, if this is the place where you come to him as a sign that your life belongs to him, why would he call it a house of prayer? Could there be some significance to that? Could it be that the starting point to connecting with God is prayer? Now, how does this apply to us today, and and why would he say this? Well, we heard about this last week. We talked about it. We touched on it briefly in, in, in the book of John. 
where Jesus explains to the Samaritan woman, because she says, hey, where do we need to go worship? Do we need to go to this mountain or do we need to go to this mountain? And Jesus says, listen, the time is coming and now is where the true worshipers will neither worship on this mountain nor on this one, but the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Why? Because we found out last week that in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, it says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need no longer need to go to a place to bring natural sacrifices, but now we bring a sacrifice of praise to the Lord as, as an act of worship to Him. See, the place of exchange uh, begins in the place of prayer. The place of connection to God begins in the place of prayer. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what are some parallels to this idea from temple worship to prayer? And that's where we're going to camp out today, you guys. I'm going to give you five parallels of temple worship to prayer. So here we go. Five. I'm, it's gonna, he's already looking at his watch. I'm going to be really quick here, Pastor Mike. This is good. <laughs> you guys with me? All right. Here we go. Here we go. Five. Prayer is like temple worship in that, number one, it's intentional. It's intentional. Okay, so listen, listen to me. The temple worship was not a spur-of-the-moment thing that you did. Okay, it wasn't like I got up in the morning, I'm like, hey, babe, so this morning I'm going to go get us uh, some more lentils, and then I'm going to go over and, and meet my buddy there, and we're going we're gonna to get some flax as well. Then we're going to grab some fish over there, and I'm taking the kids to, uh, to Torah school. Is that what it was? I don't even know. Take them to their school. And then, oh, you know what I was thinking? I'd also just stop by the temple on the way home. And she's like, oh, that's a great idea. We haven't been there for a while. And I'd be like, okay, cool. So I'm just going to bring the goat with me. She's like, oh, no, no, not the goat, because I was planning that for a meal for this Sunday. Why don't you take the sheep? Oh, that's a great idea. And then you just stop by and drop off the sheep and then come home and you're good to go. That wasn't how it worked. See, temple worship was intentional. You had to take an animal and you had to set it aside for a certain purpose. You had to steward that. You had to watch over that. You had to make sure that no animals came in and got it and that it didn't get any defects and that it was the proper sacrifice that was required by God. And then you intentionally took that animal often from outside of the area and it was an inconvenience to go all the way over to where the temple was. It was intentional. Now listen, we know that prayer can happen anytime. The Bible says pray without ceasing. So obviously you can pray at any time, but living a life of prayer is different because when you live a life of prayer, it requires intentionality. And who's the greatest example of this? What's the right answer in every question? Jesus, that's right. Well done, everybody. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Mark 135 says, now in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Jesus was intentional to set time aside and find a place to go and pray. And often prayer, it happens on the spur of the moment, but often it is discipline, and just to be really frank with you, it's hard work. Just as the temple required you to choose and prepare and set a time, one of the keys to establishing a life of prayer is to find a place and a time to pray. This is very practical, church. To find a place and a time to pray. So temple worship is like prayer in that it is intentional. How else? Prayer is like temple worship in that it is Number two, inclusive. You're like, what are you talking about? 
Isaiah 56, verse uh, 6 and 7. What is he talking about here? He's saying, I want all people to come to me. Listen, prayer is for everyone. It calls all people in. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peacefully and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Listen, we ought to understand that we can pray for anyone. You know, I've found that in my life, I've gotten to a point now where I realize I I don't know everything. I'm sorry if that scares you, but I don't know everything. Your pastor does not know everything, and I've embraced that. And what I've found in life is that I'll often get into conversations with people where they start sharing with me pains and hurts that they're going through, and I don't know how to respond. In fact, the best way I know how to respond is to pray for them. I remember I was in a business meeting, and, and I was meeting with this lady and, and her mom, and we were chatting, and, and she starts telling me about all this pain that she's experiencing, and she's like, I have to go to the doctor tomorrow for this, and, and this has been, I've been having these dizzy spells, and I'm having these hard times, and my heart just went out to her, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, but that didn't do enough, and I didn't know where she was at in her faith, and I just said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I believe that he can heal you. Do, do you mind if I pray for you? And she said, yeah, that'd be great. And so I just reached out my hand, not to be weird. I said, I'm just going to put my hand out towards you, and I'm just going to pray for you if that's okay. And she said, yeah, let's do that. And so I just prayed for her right there in her house. And she called me the next day and said, Matt, I'm feeling so much better. Thank you for praying for me. It's not my job to heal. It's his. And I don't know how to do anything in that situation. I don't know how to fix that situation, but Jesus does. And my job is to care for and bring her to Jesus. We can pray for everything. The most impactful thing I know to do is to pray. Okay, number three. See, we're going quick here. You guys are doing great. You guys are doing great. Prayer is like temple worship in that it is persistent. It's persistent. Our prayer is needs to be pressed and pursued with an energy that never tires, a persistency which will not be denied, and a courage that will never fail. That's E.M. Bounds. And if you ever want to get a prayer book that's going to kick you in the, then you're going to get that book, E.M. Bounds. He is, he is awesome. Uh, We need a persistent prayer. Romans 12, 12 says this, keep on praying. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Okay, listen to me. When a person came to the temple, the journey was not convenient. I mean, think about it. Is it ever convenient to try and move an animal that doesn't want to be moved? Have you ever tried that? I mean, just this morning, I was walking my dog, and she's like this big. And I was like, let's go! (laughs) Her little feet were like stuck on the ground, and she's like dragging on the gravel. And I'm like, we're going, Java. Let's do this, you know? 
When an animal decides that they're not going to move, it's not convenient to move them. And animals have a mind of their own. You would have to get this animal. You would have to somehow tie it up, and then you would have to drag it over. Why? Because it's going to be killed. And you'd have to take it into the temple. And sometimes I'm sure the journey was, was fraught with peril. There were probably thieves along the way. It was probably way more convenient and safe just to stay home. But there was a battle to get to the temple. And church, in the same way, there is a battle to get to prayer. What is keeping you from his presence? What is keeping you from prayer? Come on, your faith journey began with a prayer. And there was a battle that was being waged over your life to keep you from that prayer. But the Spirit of God doesn't give up on you. He keeps calling out to you. And He's looking for a people who will also keep calling out to Him. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you, says the Lord. It's a persistence. What's keeping you from the place of prayer? I think spiritual warfare often is simply just choosing to pray. Even when you don't feel like it. There's a persistence there. What is that persistence driven by? You know what it's driven by, church? It's driven by love. It's driven by a passion for his presence. I know that oftentimes what I'll find is that I'll go to sit and pray and I'm easily distracted. Have you ever found that? Like my brain just kind of flips all over the place. And, and I was discouraged about that, but recently I heard this quote, and I'm going to put it up here right now, by Rich Viotis. He's the lead pastor of New Life Church in New York. And he says this, he says, do not be discouraged by your distractions. If your mind gets distracted a hundred times in ten minutes of prayer, it's a hundred opportunities to come back to Jesus. I used to think that to be distracted in prayer meant I was a bad Christian. It turns out that distraction means I'm a human being. Persistence. I'm getting pulled away, but oh, thank you, Jesus, I get to come back to you. I'm getting pulled away over here, and I want to go over here, but thank you, Lord, I'm going to keep coming back to you. I'm going to keep coming back to you. I'm going to keep coming back. Amen? persistence. What's keeping you from his presence? What's keeping you from prayer? There's a battle. You have to be aware of it being fought to keep you from prayer. We are a house of prayer who are dependent on Jesus Christ. Amen. Number four. Number four is this. Prayer is like temple worship in that it requires awareness. I'm going to explain what I mean here, okay? Why would you get up, tie up an animal, and drag it up to a temple to be slaughtered when it was inconvenient and possibly dangerous? Because you were aware of the reality of the presence of God. You were aware that he was there. See, like temple worship, effective prayer requires an awareness and faith in God that he is there and working on our behalf. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seeks him. 
And what happens when you lose that awareness of his presence? What happens when you lose sight of the fact that God is with us? Well, I'll tell you what happens. The things of life start to crowd in around us and take away our awareness of him. In fact, in the next mention of this idea of house of prayer, we see this in action. In the book of Mark, chapter 11, verse 15 and 17, we have a story of Jesus. And it says that when he arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And he said to them this. What did he say? Stop this. No, he didn't say this. He says, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Hey, that sounds familiar. Didn't we hear that one at the beginning? And what was he talking about there? He was talking about making a way for all people to come to him. Okay, so now watch this. This is what he does. Jesus goes into this area, and he knocks over these tables, and he says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Why would he say that? Well, what is believed by scholars is that the area that these people had set up shop in was an area known as the Gentile courtyard, or the courtyard of the Gentiles. It was an area that had been set aside so that people could come and bring their sacrifices, and if they were not Jewish, they could leave it in that area and and hand it over to a priest so that they too could have atonement for their sins. And they could fulfill the requirements of the law. And over time, this area had become filled up with commerce. Because people saw an opportunity. And this area had been overrun by the natural. See, the place of encounter was getting crowded out by commerce. The natural was overwhelming the supernatural Life and this world system were intruding on the sacred. You know, sometimes prayer feels unproductive. And the natural drive to produce encroaches on the supernatural drive to connect to him. Did you hear that, church? Sometimes when you're praying, it feels like you're just hitting a brass ceiling. But then you need to stop and you need to remember that he is here. It's an awareness of his presence. Are you aware that God is with you? Are you aware that God is working on your behalf? Are you aware that he is with you even now? Are you aware that he is your righteousness and your hope and your salvation? Are you aware that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it? Are you aware that our God is faithful And that awareness can overcome the distractions. Sometimes prayer, prayer, I'm going to read this again, feels unproductive. And the natural drive to produce encroaches on the supernatural drive to connect to God. What will overcome is an awareness of God. You know what they call this in the Bible? The fear of the Lord. The Bible says, "In the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I have that scripture up there, I think. It's the beginning. It's the fear of the Lord. Okay, last one. You guys with me? Let's close this. Let's land this plane. Number five. 
Temple worship and prayer have this in common, that there is a reliance on God. See, all of this, this whole temple thing we talked about earlier, if you've never heard it before, you're like, that just sounds weird. This thing about prayer, this thing about what we're doing here on a Sunday morning, you know what all of this is about? It's about bringing humanity back into relationship and alignment with God. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the, workers, uh, the, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. Life Church, we value prayer. And we are a house of prayer who is dependent on Jesus Christ. We value prayer, and we are a house of prayer who is dependent on Jesus Christ. Come on, church. We are a house of prayer. And you say, well, how are we going to, what are we going to do, Matt? Where are we going to go? What's going to happen next? Who's going to do? I don't know, but we're going to be following Jesus. And I know where he is, there's healing. I know where he is, there's life. I know where he is, there's joy and there's peace and there's, 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 there's hope for the future. We are dependent on him. Just as in the temple, they were reliant on God. I'm putting my hope in you is what they were saying. I'm putting my trust in you. When we pray, we are declaring to the Lord, I'm putting my trust in you. See, it's a physical sign. What you're even doing, you're telling your body, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. No, but I'm tired. I know. I'm putting my trust in Jesus. I'm going to walk because that's all I can do right now to stay, keep going. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm distracted. Okay, guess what, body? I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to pray and I'm going to call out to the Lord because it's all I can do right now. Okay, but, but listen, there's all this other stuff going on that I'm going to pray for it. Lord, I just pray for that thing right now that I'm distracted by because I know that you brought it to mind and you're going to do something in that situation. I am reliant on him. You know what prayer does? It takes that weight off of your shoulders. Cast all your burdens on the Lord. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, what are we here to do, church? We're here to care for and bring people to Jesus. See, I love this scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of the most gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We have someone who's gone before us, and his name is Jesus, and our hope is in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you a very practical challenge as we leave today, okay, guys? This is something as Life Church I want us to take home, and I, want, I got some homework for you. Didn't know you were going to get some homework today, did you? Here's what I want you to do. Uh, we talked about this earlier, that, that setting, giving, living a life of prayer often begins by setting a time and a place. So this morning, uh, what I want to challenge you to do this week is I want you to find a place. And I want you to choose a time. And I want you to focus 
on prayer for 10 minutes. Do you think we can do that? Focus on prayer for 10 minutes. This is the 10-minute challenge. Everybody say 10-minute challenge. So we're going to do this, you guys. We're going to do the 10-minute challenge. This is something very practical that we can do this week to show that we value prayer. We turn our hearts towards him. We set our minds on thing, things above. And when you come to that time, I would, I would, I would like you to I'd challenge you to maybe come. You can, you can put some music on the background if, if you need to do that. If, if, if that place for you is, is you need to pace to get yourself out of your distractions and out of your head, then you, then you can do that. If you need to sit, you can sit. If you need to kneel, you can kneel. But just take 10 minutes and turn your attention to him. Pray the Lord's Prayer if you need something to pray. And then as things come to mind, bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. And so this morning, as we close, what I'd like to do is something a little bit off script. But I would like you all to stand just for a moment. And I'd like to sing the old hymn with you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's just respond this morning, church. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonder faith. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Come on, let's sing it again. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory, in the light of his glory and grace. Amen, God, this morning we declare your greatness. We declare that you are holy and you are God. And we intentionally set our minds towards you. And we pray that you give us the strength and discipline to pursue you and to pray as you've called us to, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would rise up in our hearts. You'd give us an awareness of your presence. God, you'd help us to be intentional, Lord God, and inclusive. And God, looking out to those around us, Lord Jesus, to bring them in, Lord God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd give us perseverance, Lord Jesus. And we pray, Father God, that you would show us again that we are reliant on you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you today, and we declare, God, that we want to be a house of prayer who are reliant and dependent on you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, and everybody at home said, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us.